Hi, my name is Nancy Fulton. I currently run online and face-to-face -face workshops supporting a loose network of more than 40,000 writers, screenwriters, and producers. You can find my live events on nancyfultonmeetups.com and my podcast on audioiron.com. Today, I'm interviewing Jim Germanock. He's an award-winning writer, director, producer, currently directing and producing An Actor's Actor, which is a feature documentary about the life and art of Oscar-winning actor Martin Landau, featuring interviews by Chris Rock, Diane Ladd, John Voight, Woody Allen, and Ellen Burstyn. He's also an entrepreneur expert and speaker based in New York who actively works with creative pros to help them earn more from their work. His recent bestseller, Beyond the Craft, What You Need to Know About Making a Living Creatively, and his lectures help creatives master the techniques they need to achieve their personal, professional, and financial objectives in the entertainment industry. So, Jim, You've had a really interesting career. You've written, produced, and directed dozens of plays and films, and you've worked with some of the most famous people on earth. Can you talk about how you made that happen? How did you actually get your start? I started as, a, as an actor and stand-up comic very briefly. I did not have the confidence to continue. Then I worked in crews for films, commercials, and TV shows, doing a variety of different jobs. One time I worked as a gaffer, almost electrocuted myself just kind of bullshitting my way into different jobs and learning them at the minute. And then I quit and decided to have a nine to five job. I just got married and decided I wanted, I didn't want to do freelance anymore. Ended up at ICM. I was in the mail room that I was promoted to assistant that I was promoted to my great horror to an agent. And <laughs> I ended up doing very well as an agent after the first month or two and was an agent for about eight, nine years. And then I quit that. I was getting jealous of my clients. I wanted to be creative again myself, and I quit that, and I started writing screenplays with my brother, Stephen Germanic, who's now one of the top travel writers in the world. He's at activetravels.com, and has a boutique travel agency as well. Anyway, we, we wrote a couple of screenplays we sold, one was for Yus Betzer, the Oscar-winning producer of Babette's Feast. And then we wrote a screenplay called Passionata, which was made into a film. It was released in 2003, 2004 by Columbia TriStar. It's a beautiful romance about two immigrants falling in love in the New Bedford area, which was made famous by Moby Dick, the setting for Moby Dick. Went on to produce a film, M, which won the, Se the Seattle International Film Festival and a number of other film festivals, directed by Tony Barbieri a romantic drama. I also directed a, a documentary about Harry Aganis, a famous baseball football player in the 50s. Did a lot of plays, and here I am. That's a very diverse career. And what I find particularly interesting is that you've actually had the freedom to sort of follow your interests from project to project to project, which is not something a lot of creative professionals have the ability to do. Many of them feel like they're sort of in a straitjacket. You've worked with some of the most successful creative professionals in the industry. Can you talk about what you learned from them and learned by working with them? Sure. When I was at ICM, I represented Dudley Moore, Cheryl McLean, Arthur Miller, Alan Arkin, and H. Norman Schwarzkopf, the general H. Norman Schwarzkopf from the first Iraqi war, and a host of other people. And what I learned from them is, you know, open up all the possibilities. If it's not working in L.A., maybe you can get a job in another part of the world make a short, do a web series. I have a web series that I'm very proud of called lifeadvice.tv, www.lifeadvice.tv, 
where I went to senior citizen centers, assisted living centers, nursing homes, and found the most dynamic seniors I could find and asked them to give me advice just based on their wisdom of living, just based on their experience of living. And they, I asked them to give me advice, whether it's about parenting, family, relationships, sex, health, longevity, wellness, and the best ones I carve into two to three minute episodes. I hope you get a chance to see that. And confidence. If you don't have it, fake it. Fake it till you become it. You have to have confidence when you're meeting what I call in the book, Beyond the Craft, primary context. When you're meeting people who can hire you, represent you like an agent or manager, or finance you, you need to exude confidence. And so that was one of the things I learned from the many well-known people I represented at ICM. Another thing I learned from them is how to be flexible. Don't lock yourself into a corner. If it's not working, find other ways to overcome it. When people say confidence, it's not always clear what they mean by that or how that translates into revenue. And one of the things that you talk about in great detail and beyond the craft is how creative professionals can make people like them on a personal basis, how they become ingenuous. They, they make it so that people want to work with them, people find them interesting, they find other people they find other people interesting and that creates a lot of opportunities that would not otherwise exist. You have specific techniques that translate into confidence and that translate directly into creating contacts. Can you talk about how you saw that translate into success for the creative professionals that you worked with? How, is it the case that they're all, that they, the ones that are very financially successful do manage to convey that sense of, confidence and the sense that the people that they're talking to are the most important people on earth. What is it about that that works exactly? I talk in the art of schmoozing chapter, I talk about likability. doesn't matter how smart you are or how good looking or how competent you are. If people don't like you, if you're not likable, guess what? It doesn't go to the next step. So that's the most important thing. How likable are you? And you get, you're likable by taking an interest in the other person sincerely and not just thinking about me, me, me. We know what you want to do, but how can you help the other person? Networking is a two-way street. How can you help them? Maybe there's a way that you can help them. It's also about being open and vulnerable and not guarded. And networking is misconstrued by a lot of people. It doesn't have to be superficial. It doesn't have to be bottom line business. You can make it as meaningful and interesting as you want, but it's not just chit-chat. You have to make a connection. You have to bond with a person you're talking to. You talked about meeting the people that were very successful, how they didn't always necessarily enjoy doing the networking. It wasn't an easy thing for them to, even though they were likable, they knew how to be likable. It wasn't easy for them to leap into the water and decide, yes, this needs to be done today. A lot of people are shy or reserved or withdrawn. And I, I have a chapter about how to divorce yourself professionally from personally. Personally, if you have a small social network or if you're very private or shy, that's your business. But professionally, now and then, you have to be willing to be a social butterfly in a situation where you can be meeting people who can help your career. Those things come off in other books I've read as sort of Machiavellian or manipulative, but when you, you read your book, you realize that networking is a critical part of building the relationships that turn into projects, that it, it's not, 
it's a necessary step because you have to be able to find the people that you should be working with. And that doesn't happen. Those kinds of in-depth conversations don't happen if people don't like each other. So can, I think you talk about something called a creative family and that you say that that's a critical thing for creative professionals to create if they want to be successful. Yeah, this, this stuff is too hard to do alone. And so you want to create a team and maybe your agent, manager, lawyer, and maybe friends, peers who can read your script before it goes to producers. But you, you want to create a cadre, a group of people that you can show your work to, that you can talk about the ups and downs of your career, that you can maybe perhaps introduce each other to people who can be useful. If you haven't had this kind of training in the past, do you think it's the kind of thing that people naturally pick up or is it something that somebody with your kind of experience really, they really benefit from hearing from somebody who's, who has to do it day in and day out the way that leading agents and managers have to? I mean, I'm not trying to transform people into uh, becoming agents for ICM or CAA, but I, if there's nobody fighting for you in the creative world, nobody pushing you to get to the next level of your career, then you have to do it your, yourself and you have to be kind of your own agent. And you do that by reaching out to people, primary contacts who can help you, trying to meet them as much as, as, much as you can. And uh, that, that's by being introduced by friends, by going to, to conferences, film festivals, what TV festivals, reaching out to people on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all, every, every creative professional should have a profile in all four of those. Mm -hmm. And I've met great people on social media, uh, as well as a lot of people I've met in Cannes or Toronto or Berlin. I, I mentioned something in the book. The purpose of the book, by the way, Beyond the Craft, is to help people, whatever, whatever they do, writers, directors, producers, singers, comedians, actors, how to get to the next level of their career without solely relying on others. If others help you, great, it's a bonus, but don't assume they will, and don't wait for phone calls. Be proactive. The whole book is about how to be proactive. And I wrote the book because there are hundreds of books about acting, screenwriting, directing, even producing, but there's a, I saw no books about the creative business, and you have literally hundreds of thousands of undergraduate and graduate creative majors going into the world who were taught by people who may be great at what they did, but they're not doing it now. So there's a, there's a real lack of information about the market now. And even if they do have an agent or manager, they should complement their efforts. And one important feature in the book is contact accumulation. I don't think people can succeed if they know less than, let's say, two or 300 creative professionals. They need to know about two to 300 at least creative professionals who can help them or can guide them or can collaborate with them. But so contact accumulation is very, very important. And I really try to strive to get people to call anyone who can help them, anybody they know who may know somebody who can help them. The book is also, it's geared toward aspiring, working and successful creative professionals. So it doesn't, even if you have some success or you're working, you can always do better talked about how people's careers do stall so it could be the case that you were successful you know at five you had good success five years ago and you were part of a community and da, 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 and then it fell apart the fact that you have to continue to do that over the course 
of your life that it's not it's well, not a byproduct it's something you do it is part of the pro the being a creative it, professional it's an insanely difficult business and people who may have had success in the past sometimes they have to go back to square one and put their pro check their pride at the door and just go back to square one and start again and not think there's a continuance because there may not be just a, it's a natural byproduct of a very difficult business that a lot of people are stuck in their careers. They're just stuck. And this book is geared to helping them get, out of, get unstuck and make things happen. You, you have to strive to make relationships. And you do that by networking and bonding with people and doing inf even informational interviews, which I talk about in the book. I don't care what age you are. You don't have to be 22 to do an informational interview. Is there somebody from your university or your high school or even your neighborhood, you can just say, hey, can I pick your brains any place, any time? I just want to ask some advice about my career. It's okay to do that, no matter what age you are. You talk about the fact that the... That perhaps because we're creative professionals, we tend to be more shy in retiring than we really need to be. And you talk about the fact that the, the line that you can't cross is farther than we think it is. Calling, in other words, yeah. cold calling somebody and asking them, you know, I'd like to speak people with you. Very, very, a lot of people sacrifice their careers because of a couple of fallacies. One is they think it's improper to ask for things or not cool or obnoxious. And that's ridiculous. Everyone you know who's looking very cool in these nighttime talk shows or interviews in the New York Times, or LA Times, these people asked for help. That's how they got where they were. It didn't come to just naturally to maybe one out of 10,000. And ICM used to call them lottery winners. But that's very, very rare. You got to reach out and ask, learn how to ask for favors. And, and if you're talented, serve your talents. Let your talents be the engine for you to push and reach out and meet people who can work with you or help your career. Do you think that people who are successful because they know that they have to do that to build their career tend to be the kind of people who are willing to do the informational interview or willing to give people you know, the five minutes they need to get information or willing to create those social relationships simply because they know that that's what works? So when when creative professionals don't choose to do that, they're locking themselves out of a community that does that all day, every day, because they know that that's the normal thing. Unfortunately, they're at a disadvantage because a lot of people that succeeded were just relentless. They didn't stop. They just didn't stop. They, they, it was like a, they're like a children yearning for their parents' attention. They did not stop. And a lot of people who succeeded ha had certain childhood vacuums or difficulties, and that served them well because they did not stop until they reached their goal. I definitely think it's the case that the people that are the most driven from a creative standpoint um, tend to be the ones, they, they cannot choose to accept, accept no for an answer. They literally cannot stop. I don't think you could have told, you know, George Lucas, you know, the Star Wars things. I mean, pretty much everybody told him this is not going to work out. This whole space opera thing is just not going to be happening. And he just he could not take no for an answer. So being that kind of drive, the, the passion for doing what you do and using that as a methodology for or a reason that pushes you to make connections. Certainly well, in, in the workshops I do around the world. Mm -hmm. um, 
um, the art and business of screenwriting, on making your projects happen, successful film and TV producing and financing, and on the subject of my book, Creative Entrepreneurship, Beyond the Crap, I talk about the psychology of success. And in that speech, that section of the workshop, I talk about how to deal with rejections, mm -hmm. how to deal with negativity, how to deal with assholes for that matter, because there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? You have to learn how to deal with that. You have to learn how to cope with that and not let it stop you. Mm -hmm. Another way of saying that, you must have thick, thick skin. But anyone who's worth their salt has encountered literally hundreds, if not thousands of rejections. Mm -hmm. You can't let it stop you. You can't let it get you down. You can't let it slow you down in any way. Keep on going. So when you do your workshops, is it something that people, like, do they find them through your website, or how, do, how can people? Usually I have it on jimgermanic.com. I hope to do one in L.A. in the next few months uh, and in New York. If anybody knows uh, a sponsor in anywhere in the world, I'll go anywhere, you know. So I mm -hmm. like doing that, and I like having large audiences. Mm -hmm. So if there's anybody listening who may know of a sponsor anywhere, I'm happy to respond well you know what's interesting to me is that i do think it helps to have a large number of creative professionals in a place to do that kind of that kind of training because they need to see that there's other people just like them and by talking to them they realize how talented those people are i mean i've been shocked at how many people i know who have emmys i mean they've or they've worked at the studios they've produced 15 or 20 different and they'll find themselves stalled out at some point and it's and it's Part of it is because you're working 12-hour days. When you're working 12-hour days, you don't have time to network. You, you, you do. There's just a natural ebb and flow in the industry. And being in a room with a bunch of those people who are all seeking to make connections at the same time can be incredibly powerful. There's people in the room you need to know, and everybody knows everybody else's connections. It's, it's transformative. So it's very cool that you do those kinds of workshops. And I, 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 do them, I do it in San Francisco, usually on an annual basis. I've done them in Phoenix, Flagstaff, Tucson, Portland, Maine, Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. Boston. I, do, I, I don't need, you know, it doesn't have to be a place like New York, L.A., Toronto, or London. You know, I want to do one in Atlanta, for example, because it's a very burgeoning creative community there. Mm -hmm. uh, I do it where there's, there's a group of people who, who can be helped. Mm -hmm. Do you, when, you, when you talk about your own career, I mean, you've done uh, an incredible amount of uh, producing. And theater in New York, is one, some of, that's some of the hardest producing that there is, I think. Because there's no more demanding an audience. There's the, all the talent in the world. And certainly, you know, theater goers just, you know, everywhere. But on the other hand, man, those people take their theater seriously. So when you're, the skills that you've mastered over the years in terms not just in terms of the networking and the creating relationships but in terms of financing financing projects and building the the budgets and the schedules and attaching the talent and all of those things do you do you have resources or do you provide workshops on that kind of work as well yeah one of the workshops i talk about is producing and financing in film and tv it's assembling a team is such an important part of this Mm -hmm. Again, to do these things alone is very, very difficult. And sometimes it's easier for a screenwriter, for example, to just get their film produced, forget about the agent-manager system, and mm -hmm. just find producers and financiers and get the thing done. Well, see, so do you ever talk about how to... So the question I get most often, because I do work, you know, in the entertainment industry, the question I get most often is uh, how, do you, how and where do you network with financiers? And... 
people don't even know, how, first of all, people don't know where to find these folks and they also don't know how to network with them because what those folks, I think one of the things you mentioned in your book when you're talking to financiers, they're very conscious of the fact that almost everybody has their handout and almost everybody has a project and yet you need to develop a relationship with these people. So do you ever talk when in the workshops that you do, do you ever do one specifically targeted on how to network with people who have financial resources that they put into creative projects or? Yes, I do that. I talk about networking in all my workshops and I talk about financing, of course, in the producing and financing workshop. And you don't have to limit yourself to entertainment or show business conferences. You can go to go to a startup conference, go to a tech, go to a tech conference, you know, meet invest people investors that will invest in startups or restaurants or nightclubs for that matter, may invest in, in, in a film. So you want to focus on first of all any wealthy people you happen to know or be related to and not be afraid to ask them. The second one is just people who you know, who may know other people or people you meet, it, you know, once you get to know them, it's just about asking them if they would ever, if they would ever consider the prospect of investing. Developing the contact and then developing the relationship is, is key to doing the part where you, where you have the people, the connections that you need in order to get a project funded. So likability matters a lot. Even when you're talking about finance, those people don't just care about money. When they put money into a film, it's because they like the film and because they trust the people that are making it. The vast majority of film investors, for example, are investing in you, your, your passion, your spunk, your, 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 the, the importance of the film. Maybe, like if you're doing a film about wakeboarding, find wakeboard enthusiasts throughout the world and people who would share the joy that you would have and seeing a film about wakeboarding happen. Mm -hmm. So you, you, it's really a lot, of, a lot of niche. What film, what does your film have going for it? What groups would it appeal to? If you're doing a film about Italians, well, think about Italian investors. You know, I mean, it's that, it's that simple. It's it, going to the niches that would be interested in making your film a reality and asking them for help. Mm -hmm. Well, and actually it just occurred to me that if somebody does finances for a living and they see a producer that is aggressively pushing their project, that's the kind of person that they want to invest in because they know that the person is motivated, extremely motivated to actually get the project done. And since they're the ones that are joining them as a partner, they need to have the person they invest in be aggressive about putting the project together and finding the project, the resources that it needs. So they don't, a wallflower is not the kind of person they think is going to be the person that makes a good, that can produce a film because it does. That's why it's so important for writers, for example, to find producers that they, that they can live with, that they can be with, that, can, that they can work with. In the same way, if you're a smaller producer, try to find a bigger producer. I'm often asked to be an executive producer on various projects and, you know, for hire. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I have contacts, the agencies return my calls, distributors return my calls. You want to find people on your team who get their calls returned by those entities. I'm hired as an executive producer. I'm also hired as a production consultant or entertainment career consultant. I charge an hourly rate, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's for a person's career or for a project. That's perfect. So my kind of folks are those kind of folks. And the reason is because, again, most of the time, they are seasoned 
entertainment industry pros. Sometimes they've, they've had success in the past and they've literally fallen off. I mean, one of the, like a really common thing is, you know, I have people that are development executives. They've worked at the studios. They've got all the contacts on earth, but they can't make this, they can't make the transition into being an actual producer, which I know sounds crazy, but when you're working as a development executive for Disney or one of these other companies, you're doing business on the, for that, for that studio. Do you know what I mean? But translating the contacts and relationships that you have in order to start producing your own projects, which will be a completely different budgets and with completely, you know, completely different kinds of content, like understanding how to make that transition. And also they've only ever been doing part of the project before. You know, they've, they've only done well, their own I, I also do, I, I wear a few different hats. I do rewrites. I do writing assignments, rewrites, directing assignments. Mm -hmm. I also do script analysis. Where I'll, I'll, I'll critique a script, mm -hmm. literally on like eight pages of major notes and minor notes and page notes. I'll write on the script even. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like working with people that way. Sometimes I've worked with people that way. And then they, I went on to produce or rewrite their project. Mm -hmm. or direct. Well, it sounds perfect because, right. you know, a lot of people have that have that particular problem. And also, you know, you have an understanding of how the in, the agencies work and they're the gatekeepers for getting to the talent that you need in order to get a project. You need to have the right cast attached in order to get the right, the project funded and then distributed and then also successful with, with, uh, with viewers. So, and the fact that you've worked in both film and television is pretty powerful because, sorry, film, television, and theater is pretty powerful because people need, there are several different ways to take a piece of intellectual property and turn it into a business model that makes money. I have a lot of interest. So, I mean, it's reflected in, in, in what I do. I, mm -hmm. I'm actually not only am I in film and TV, but I'm in nonfiction and fictional film and mm -hmm. nonfiction and fictional TV. I'm in all four of those and they're all different buyers. They're all different contacts. So, and theater is completely different as well. So you gotta, you gotta, again, contact accumulation is very, very important. Well, one of, that's one of the things I was saying about when I was reading through the book and taking a look at your website and looking, I like the fact that you've, you've actually managed to manufacture a career that lets you do, it's clear that you're following your interests. You know, you, you pick a topic and you go, this is something I care about and I actually want to do this particular project. And this is something I want to talk about. I'm going to do this particular project that there's not, that's exactly what every creative professional wants because we do tend to have very eclectic minds. We, we, we do things take our fancy and we dive into them deeply and then we produce a project and then we get to the other side and we want to work on something else. Having the creative freedom to do that defines what it is to be successful in the entertainment industry. It's the ability to be able to follow your interests and to make money while doing it. So when I look at your career, it's cool to see you really are. Uh, just when I look at the, the sheer range of things that you've done, it's clear that that's what you do. You go, yeah, that sounds like a good project. I'll make that work. Well, look, I, I, in all honesty, uh, it's a very difficult business. Those, the projects I've been fortunate enough to do are the ones that got to the finish line. There's a number that, that haven't, you know, uh, for anyone mm -hmm. who is a filmmaker in in our business, this a lot of projects that don't make it to the finish line, and you kind of have to be, you have to have enough a number of projects going. You can't just have one project. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. If you wrote a brilliant screenplay, but somebody else who's like George Clooney did something in a similar vein, guess what? Your 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 project is shelf for quite a while. 
Mm -hmm. you, need, you need to have a number of different projects, preferably in different media as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I'm also, the fact that you work in theater and um, as well as in film and television, I think that a lot of screenwriters don't realize that if, if you're, if one of the best ways to find out whether or not, and to prove whether or not a script has legs is to see if it works as a, if it works as a play. Because some really great, you know, A Few Good Men is one of my, certainly one of my favorite movies, but the fact that it started as a play and it did well. And I knew, actually, I know this, uh, this woman who did a show called Not That Jewish. It was actually started out here and then went back to the East Coast. And that thing, I know that it made $600,000 its first year. And it did it out here on the West Coast. It was a one-woman show, and it was just really good. It just, she was- Well, a that's what I meant about flexibility. You know, you have a project, you've written a script. Mm -hmm. Can it be done as a TV series? Can it be done as a limited series? Can mm -hmm. it be done as a play? You have to make that decision and not only focus on, uh, you know, film. Film is the hardest medium to make money at, to succeed at right now. Mm -hmm. You have to be open to other possibilities that also let you in right. and give, give your writing uh, recognition. Well, and, you, and the fact that you do documentaries, so that, that's kind of an interesting thing too, because that... Great documentaries come by meeting interesting people and telling and finding ways to tell their stories. You know, sometimes you have a theme that you're following and you're following, you want to interview 20 people who've had the experience of being, you know, put in jail for no good reason. Um, or sometimes you find one great person who's had an incredible life story and you want to share that. But the, that documentary, your background in nonfiction filmmaking strikes me as being very, uh, a very powerful those kinds of films are very popular right now. Those documentaries, I just did an, um, I just did an event where I was talking to a company that does uh, distribution and they were saying that shockingly, one of the things that earns the most money, like you know, a documentary that may have taken $50,000 or $100,000 to produce, they were seeing it earn $500,000 or $600,000 or $700,000. In right sales, really, you know, in the US immediately, it came from the fact that the, there were documentaries that for some reason people really liked, whether, whether it was specific to a particular hobby that people had or whether it was related to a specific group of people, but people are yearning for, for some reason, there's a market for these documentaries, maybe because they're evergreen, right? People can watch them year after year, but. I think it's just, you know, um People are not reading as much as they used to. They used to read a lot of biographies. That was very, very popular pastime in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And I, and I think people are just simply not reading as much as they, they used to. Uh, they, don't have, they have limited time. And documentary provide a great, great form into learning about interesting lives and mm -hmm. inspiring lives mm -hmm. and lives that you know, we can learn from. And, and I think there's a lot of great documentarians right now. We're, we're going through a period of time where there's a lot of great documentarians. Mm -hmm. So I'm very happy that documentaries are, are very popular now, and I understand why. I know we've taken, I've taken up a lot of your time. One thing I would like you to address, if you could just for a few minutes, is I don't know that many people who are in a position to be able to help people, you know, obviously for a fee, but be able to advise people on how to build good episodic TV projects. Everybody's doing uh, episodic content these days, but you still need to put together a package of a project 
lead talent and uh, showrunner and then pitch book, et cetera, in order to be able to take that project out. Is, is your, does your background in television give you insight? I, into I disagree with that. You don't need all those things. You can just really? have a script and a Bible, which simply really? summarize how many episodes there are and what you're going to put in the other episodes besides the pilot one that you're enclosing. Really? In terms of attaching all those people, yes, if you, if you can do so, great, but you don't need all those things necessarily. Oh. It may be better to, just to attach yourself to a, a very seasoned TV producer, a producer has something on the air, and, and go from there. But I just want to make a couple of notes in terms mm -hmm. of writing TV or film. Mm -hmm. One is, you know, use your life. The thing doesn't have to be, the, the, the script doesn't have to be autobiographical, but you should use some elements of your, your, your life if possible. It should have at least some autobiographical fragments. If there was an amazing person in your family, or you had some amazing experience, or you, your uncle was an incredible guy, whatever, let that turn evolve into a character, or let that evolve into the entire story. But use your life is very, very, I think, very, very important. Because people who use their lives, look at Whiplash uh, mm -hmm. by Damien Chazelle, or the guy who did the King's Speech. It was his, you know, his father knew the guy. Mm -hmm. Use some element of, uh, of your life. I think that makes scripts much, much better. It, and it's, another concept is this distinction. Is your script distinctive enough? Mm -hmm. And that should also help you in terms of story creation. If it's very similar to something out there, that's not good. Is the pilot distinctive enough? It, I, I keep on using that word over and over again. Mm -hmm. How is this? Is it, it doesn't have to be completely original, but it has to be a little bit distinctive. You know, I really enjoy Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars, a Coffee in Cars. Comedians in Cars getting coffee. So simple. He mm -hmm. shows a car, he has an amazing comedic guest, and they go have coffee. And in a very down-to-earth way mm -hmm. it, it, you know it's a, a lot of great ideas are simple they don't need to be insanely convoluted or complex mm -hmm. and that idea obviously works well i think it has a lot to do with the fact that it provides a human connection to the kind of people everybody a lot of people really do like cars and a lot of people do go out and get coffee with their friends so it's a window into a normal world with very unusual people in it that's right. I have to say this has been an incredibly interesting interview and I look forward to telling people about you going forward. And I, when you're on the West Coast, I hope you'll give me a heads up on when you're running workshops uh, on our side of the country so that I can let people know that they're happening. I routinely have people who are looking to figure out how to package different kinds of projects. They don't know what to, to put together or how to move uh, television projects forward. Well, they have to understand that the buyers and executives and networks and film companies are very, very busy. Mm -hmm. They're not the best listeners in the world, generally. Give them enough to get them interested. You don't want to send out too much. When you run workshops that address those kinds of topics, if just whatever workshops you run, give me a heads up so I can let my folks know about them. Thank you, I will. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anytime, anytime. And then, and specifically the stuff that everybody I know that has a television project, they don't have a big picture of the project process. They don't know where it starts and where it ends. And when it comes to film financing, when it comes to career development, uh, in terms of learning how to schmooze and make the context that you need, being able to get an actual, very factual answers from somebody who's been in the room a thousand times. 
Well, again, that's why I also do consultancy. If they don't want to wait for the workshops, I'm always available to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And keep the faith, you know. I mean, it's, everything is doable, mm-hmm. but you've got to change tactics and strategies sometimes. You've got to be flexible enough. Your career may not end up, end up taking the exact direction that you fantasize about or expect. It may take a slightly different turn here and there and that's okay you have to be flexible enough to allow those things to happen well what i find it's what i find interesting is sometimes you know from complete ignorance and you, you come up with this fantasy of what you want your creative life to be and actually it's it's a lot like going on a big vacation you know if you're traveling around the world and you're going to do it you know over the course of an entire year it's going to be those things you didn't plan that actually turn out to be the best moments. that's right that's exactly right. That's a great analogy. As someone who's traveled to 95 countries and 46 states, that's a great, that's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. Because by being extremely planned, you limit the joy of, the, of your travel. Things mm-hmm. make, you got to be open to things taking a different term. And it's the same thing with entertainment careers. You mm-hmm. don't know how they'll turn out. You may meet somebody in a specific area of entertainment industry, let's say animation, who mm-hmm. likes your work. Is that it? Because you want a live action and say no? Mm-hmm. You know, let things, depending on who you know and the course your career takes, let things happen. Be open to it. I think, it, I think that's exactly right. I think, and I think having a background as a traveler makes that abundantly clear. I don't, just you don't know the adventures that you're missing. You've never been there before. How do you even know what's fun? You just. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, you've been a true people, treasure. To people people need, to, need to take time in their week to do, of course, their craft. Mm-hmm. But they can take time in their week and schedule it. Like, like you, you would schedule lunch mm-hmm. or a coffee. Schedule networking time. Time when you're going to, through Facebook or LinkedIn or through connections or through conferences or meetups, you're going to take the time to do three things. Research people, reach out to them, and meet them. Meeting people eyeball to eyeball is always much more effective than texting or emailing or any of this stuff. You want to try to meet people and organize those meetings. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think there's nothing, a face-to-face, a face-to-face meeting builds a relationship. You can certainly do things. We all have pen pals that we meet online, but it makes somehow that's more actionable when you're face-to-face. And, and there's more of a chance they'll do something for you. Someone who can help you. Right. Well, and they want to help you because they know who you are. And also you've had that's a chance right. to talk about something that is not, you know, business related. That's right. When, so people can find beyond the craft on Amazon and then also, they should visit your website. I'll put the information on the book in the descriptions that I send out, and I'll also put a link to your website. If people want to travel to the East Coast to see, or if they want to get on some sort of a list you have specifically for, for workshops that you do or want to reach out to you about consulting, they can do that through your website, right? Absolutely. That's excellent. I can't tell you. It's like, <laughs> I just think it's amazing. Like, you've got this uh, this approach to doing art that makes it look like it is kind of an adventure, much more than, <laughs> like, I guess, because you're not waiting to be discovered, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I just know that, you know, from being an ICM and really getting this scoop about how all these, all my clients made it, I just realized that, you know, networking and um, making things happen on your own is such a big part of it. Instead of waiting for that external big elite 
entertainment industry to hire you or call you, learning how to make things happen on your own, assembling a team, having a few projects is so important. I think you're 100% right. It's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, with, with your permission, we'll go ahead and end it here. And then and, um, we'll, I'll start letting people know about you. It's really an honor to have um, spoken with you. It's an honor for me as well. Thanks for all you do, Nancy. You're very sweet. Thank you, sir.